found Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To God's people who are scattered like foreigners in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father decided to choose you as his people, and his spirit has made you holy. You have obeyed Jesus Christ and are sprinkled with his blood. I pray that God will be kind to you and will keep on giving you peace. Praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is so good. And by raising Jesus from death, he has given us new life and a hope that lives on. God has something stored up for you in heaven where it will never decay or be ruined or disappear. You have faith in God, whose power will protect you until the last day. Then he will save you, just as he has always planned to do. On that day, you will be glad, even if you have to go through many hard trials for a while. Your faith will be like gold that has been tested in a fire and these trials will prove that your faith is worth much more than gold that can be destroyed. They will show that you will be given praise and honor and glory when Jesus Christ returns. You have never seen Jesus, and you don't see him now. But still, you love him and have faith in him. And no words can tell how glad and happy you are to be saved. That's why you have faith. Last Wednesday, it was my turn to teach the men's Bible study. We're going through Paul's letter to Timothy, his first letter. And we looked at some scriptures from chapter 4. And in verse 13, Paul tells him to give your attention to public reading, exhortation or preaching, and teaching. Three very important things in the life of a church when we gather together. Why was public reading so important in that day? Well, most of the people didn't have their own copy of the scriptures. The printing press wasn't created yet, and so we're very blessed to live in this day and time, as well as many of the people didn't know how to read, as well as God's word was written to be read out loud and heard together, and to be preached as well as to be taught. So with that being said, I would like to read again the passage that you just heard, and we'll be reading from the New King James Version. First of all, the writer introduces himself, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims, that is, the people who are strangers in a foreign land, of the dispersion or the diaspora, those who have been moved, the refugees, if you will, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Basically, this letter is written to the believers, primarily Jewish believers at that time, who were no longer in Israel or Judea or the Jerusalem area, but were up in the area that we now call Turkey. Verse 2, he tells them who they are. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The word there, the Greek word elect or electos, literally means favorite or someone chosen by God. If you ever get in a debate 
on election and God's choosing, don't separate it from God's foreknowledge. We are elected or chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He's given us the power of choice. We're able to choose, and one day election day is coming, and and we're going to be making our choices on the ballots. The problem is we don't have foreknowledge. We have pundits to claim they have foreknowledge, and boy, aren't they having a heyday right now. This is like a championship season for all the political pundits on all the news channels. They have lots of material to deal with. Is pundit a word? Okay, gotcha. The experts. You know what an expert is, don't you? A former drip under pressure. All right, stop. Stop. Back to the text. Public reading of the scripture. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit. That is, he purifies us, sets us apart. Why? For obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So here we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're elected according to the foreknowledge of the Father. We're sanctified by the Spirit for a life of obedience and for sprinkling of the blood of the Son, Jesus Christ. If we disobey, there is blood that avails for us that our sins can be cleansed. One drop of that spotless lamb's innocent blood was enough to redeem the sins of the world, and yet he gave it all. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. This is a huge blessing. God's grace is something we can't even begin to understand. He gives us things we don't deserve. And so he's wishing God's grace upon them and that their shalom, their peace that passes understanding would be multiplied, that that their sense of wholeness and well-being in the world would be increased. Blessed be, now he turns to blessing the Lord. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, there's his grace again, has begotten us again, being born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, there was a time in Peter's life when he had lost all hope. He had lost his faith. He had cussed and denied even knowing the Lord. Completely fell away. So devastated was he by what happened. But then his hope came alive again because of the resurrection of Jesus. And he never forgot it. So it's part of his praise language. To an inheritance. We don't stop with hope, but we're going forward from hope to this thing we hope for. To an inheritance, verse 4, incorruptible, that is undecaying, undefilable, and undefiled that does not fade away, undying reserved in heaven for you. So we have a future to look forward to. And who are the you? That's us. We are the ones, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God. If you've been serving the Lord for any time at all, He gets all the glory. He keeps us. If we mess up, He fixes us up. If I choose to sin... 
He convicts me of my sin, chases me, and brings me to a place of repentance and teaches me how to walk. So we're kept by faith, by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. So I'm saved, but I'm going to be saved. And I'm being saved. So I'm saved, I'm being kept for the future. It's a beautiful thing. In this you greatly rejoice, verse 6, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So look at that first phrase again. In this you greatly rejoice, and then he makes this parenthetical statement. Though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. So what are we rejoicing in? The various trials? No, we're rejoicing in what verse 7 starts with. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious, the thing we're believing for is so precious, you can't put a price on it. More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Our faith can go through great trials and hold strong. And that faith may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. We walk by faith and not by sight, do we not? And Paul said in another place, faith works by love. And so because of faith and because of his love, we love in return in faith the one whom we can't see. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, that's what faith enables us to do, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You remember the old hymn? It is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the half never yet been told. We have this. And we rejoice because of the hope we've been given, the faith we've been given and the love that is in our heart for the one whom having not seen, verse 8, you love. We're going to rejoice, and we currently rejoice even before it happens at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. We're doing a series on love. Not love as the world defines it, but love as the Word of God defines it. Love that is true love. Anybody can have faith or think they have it until 
it is challenged. Everyone can think or believe they're in love until that love is tested. What do these four pictures have in common? Think of one word that would be part of the description or title for each picture. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about true love under pressure. Can we say that together? Many of us do not like pressure of any kind, and yet there can be benefits from it. When harnessed properly, certain pressures can enhance the lives of ourselves and others. The fact you got here today in your vehicle, if you came in a vehicle, was the tires had air and the brakes had hydraulic fluid pressure. You can't be born unless the mother exerts pressure. The diamond on your finger is not made without pressure. Hyperbaric chambers use pressure to help people's healing faculties accelerate. It's my understanding the earth, as God created it before the flood, had a heavier or stronger amount of atmospheric pressure. That's why things grew bigger and things lived longer. It's my understanding that original recipe KFC chicken is cooked in pressure cookers. Treated wood that your house is made with has been treated by athletes that win or athletes that are able to do this to themselves. Pressure. Victorious soldiers go through the pressure of battle. And if you want to get things done, set a deadline because it creates pressure. Israel, for 50 years now, has lived under constant pressure. Surrounded by enemies, hated by the world, and out of that pressure, creativity is born. Amazing. I've heard the FBI, you know, Apple wouldn't help them open the iPhone. So someone from Israel helped them out. Pressure has its advantages. And many times, though, we don't like it. We want a pressure-free life. We long for a life with no problems. And by all means, we can increase the pressure on our lives by making foolish mistakes. So let's not forget that. Don't make mistakes just so you can have pressure. But when pressure comes, it can be used for your benefit. G. Rink wrote a poem about pressure. He didn't like it, and he wrote, Just relax and enjoy life. Don't live to work. Work so you can live. Our lives are so filled with tension and stress. We work hard all week. We study and go to classes. We do the best, the very best we can most of the time. Our work is unrewarded. Some people find out that they can handle it. Some turn to drugs and burn out. Some turn to alcohol and drink out. Some kill themselves and bail out. Our society is tough. This pressure to be the best, to be the fastest, to be the smartest can be overwhelming. But we must, though, always remember to be true to ourselves. We must never let the pressure of being number one run our lives. We're only here for a very short time, so we can't get so caught up in the grand competition that we cannot enjoy the pleasure of life itself. Wisdom in those words, but not the whole picture. A problem-free life is a fantasy and it's illusion, 
And if you waste your time wishing you had a better past or wishing your life was better than it is, you're exerting energy in ways that will depress you and not help you. It is what it is. Now, what are we going to do? That is the question. This is the biosphere. It was created a number of years ago in 91 and was used for experiments to study the earth and how it works without the intrusion of real nature. It was an artificial environment. Perhaps lessons learned could help us live on other planets. And it had its own atmosphere. It had a 1,900-square-meter rainforest, a 850-square-meter ocean with its own coral reef, a 450-square-meter mangrove wetland, 1,300-square-meter savanna grassland, a 1,400-square-meter fog desert, and a 2,500-square-meter agricultural system, and, of course, a human habitat. And guess what? They had problems with the humans. They had problems with animals dying. It had all sorts of problems. Ninety-five, the Columbia University used it to run experiments in 2005, and it looked like it was in danger of being demolished. But then University of Arizona took it over in 07 and assumed full ownership in 2011. One of the most profound discoveries made by scientists had nothing to do with a cure for some new disease or a better way of farming. Rather, the discovery had to do with the wind and its role in the life of trees. The trees inside a biosphere, too, grew rapidly, more rapidly than they did outside in the real world, but they also fell over before reaching full growth. After looking at the root systems and outer layers of bark, the scientists came to understand that a lack of wind, a lack of storms, caused a deficiency in the tree's wood. Without stress, a tree can grow quickly, but it cannot support itself fully. It cannot withstand normal wear and tear and survive. In other words, the trees needed some stress in order to thrive in the long run. As much as we don't want our babies who are learning to walk to fall, it's in falling that they learn to walk. And it's in falling that they learn how to fall because things in life can trip us up. So pressure has its place in our maturing even as babies. Jesus went through great pressure for us. He blessed us all by not running from pressure, but pressing through the pressure. Luke 21 talks about him separating himself from the disciples about a stone's throw, and he kneels down and prays and says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What he was about to drink and go through was the pain of abandonment, the pain of being slandered and being betrayed, the pain of being tortured, convicted of a crime he was not guilty of, of injustice, great physical pain, but also spiritual pain, for he would be separated from his father, if but for an instant or for the full three days. We don't know. But we know it was something that put great pressure upon him Verse 44 says, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. What did he pray? Father, is there another way? His flesh, his human nature, was recoiling at the thought of this. But because of his love for his father, he followed through. So great was the pressure 
The middle of verse 44 says, His sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. He was under incredible pressure. But when he rose up from prayer, he was fully surrendered. The battle was won there. As much as we rejoice in the empty tomb and the blood that was shed from the cross, thank God for the prayer of submission. We prayed that prayer here today. Lord, this world has nothing for me. I want to follow you. I want to give you my heart. The battles that you're facing in life, many of them maybe were won today by total surrender to the Lord. So he pressed through. He didn't run from pressure. His gospel was spread beyond Israel due to pressure. So great was the pressure of persecution upon the saints of God who thrived for eight years living communally in the Jerusalem and Judean area that they had to scatter. Many of them went back to old homelands. Many of them had lost everything in moving. And so they're living as strangers in a land that is not theirs, in Bithynia, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Pontus. And Peter's writing this letter to encourage them. What are they doing? They're not just surviving. They're taking the gospel with them to foreign lands. They're missionaries. That's why First Peter is so important, is it's a letter written to missionaries. And guess what? We are foreigners in a strange land. Sure, you have a U.S. citizenship, but that citizenship is temporary. It's only with you as long as your body is alive. And when you die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We have been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's dear Son when we were born again. And so pressure helped the gospel to spread. Did it have to do that? Not necessarily. I mean, Paul went at the call of God. God uses all things for his glory, even the wicked for the day of doom. And so even though the pressure of persecution came upon the church, the gospel was spread. God uses it for his glory. You attack him with a mess, he'll turn it into a message. Put his people through a test and they'll come out with a testimony. Our love's trueness is proven or disproven by pressure. Some people say, I can't take the pressure, so I gave up. Peter goes on, we just read it, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness, the integrity of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you As the pressures from outside the church and within the world, and yes, even in the good old USA, come against us for our faith, we will see just how strong our faith is. We will see if we will remain true to the Lord if we're mocked by the world. Christianity is not a popularity contest. It is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the goal of our life. You have popularity, enjoy it. But keep in mind, it is short-lived. They will turn on you just as quick as they'll turn on anybody else. 
And true love can see by faith even when under pressure. He goes on to write, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So pressure reveals where our faith is. We walk by faith and not by sight. So our faith sees for us. And if your faith is real and your hope is in heavenly things and your affections are set on He who is above, When darkness is all around, what do you see? I see the will of God being done in me. I see He's not through with me yet. He's not through with you. We've been predestined to be conformed to His image. All this stuff's going to be used for His glory. Amen. Now we're jumping beyond Peter's writings to see what James, the brother of the Lord, wrote. He wrote, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patience. And let steadfastness or patience have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And he goes on to say, And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God without wavering. For he who wavers is like a wave of the sea, blown about by the wind and tossed. Let not that person think they'll receive anything from the Lord. So our big point there is love is patient. It's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. Love is patient or love suffers long and is kind. Love is patient and patience is produced by pressure. It's a popular thing. Christians say it jokingly. Hopefully they're joking. Oh, don't pray for patience because that means pressure is coming. If everything's going right in your life, why would you just wake up one morning and pray for patience? We can all be patient when nothing's against us, right? So if all hell's coming against you, you better pray for patience. Don't talk yourself out of it. You're going through it. You need some patience. Pray for it. And some wisdom while you're at it. Count it all joy, Mark and Joy. I went to Leah Kenyon's funeral. Uh, David and Pam Linfoot and their children came to church here years ago in this building. David's little sister died in a car wreck during that storm a couple weeks ago. The funeral was at Bethel Temple, Assembly of God, in Cleveland, Texas. Anybody been there? I got a new hero. Oh, my goodness. Mike Mazel can preach the pain off the walls. He's about my age. I'm going to try to learn some things from him. A couple years ago, his wife had a stroke. She's an invalid in a wheelchair. His faith is being proven. He's standing strong. He's not leaving her. He's true to her. He's true to his congregation. And what a hero he is. Just like the Gomez family. True love under pressure is proven to be true. Now let me shift gears here. We're talking about being under pressure. Now, let's use some pressure. Pressure can become a tool. It's not just us experiencing pressure. What are we going to put some pressure on? Philippians 3, Paul writes, Not that I have already attained 
or I'm already perfected. God knows we haven't arrived at where he's taken us in our maturity level, in our knowledge of the Lord, which is actually what he's talking about. But I press, we say press, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. So it's not just us going through pressure and trying to be patient. No, what are we putting pressure on? I want to put pressure on laying hold of that for which Jesus has laid hold of me. And he doesn't stop there. Verse 13, he says it again. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. If we're going to press for that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of us, we've got to put the past behind us. It's already happened. It's over. Please don't listen to this sermon in light of the past. This is in light of the future. Get rid of the rearview mirror. It's, it's smaller anyway. Many people, they got the rearview mirror here, and meanwhile there's this whole windshield out in front of them. Pining for a better past is a total waste of time. Learn what you can learn from it and move on. One thing I do, forget the past and reach forward to those things which are ahead. Verse 14, I press. Say that again, press. Pressure. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What has he called us to do? Now, there's a lot of concern in the world and in Christian media about persecution coming upon us from our own government. All right, we need to do what we can to thwart that. But if we totally fail... That's not the end of the world. We've got brothers and sisters in Sudan that can tell us a little bit about reality that we could experience, right? We don't want to retreat into our holes and live on tribulation food and drink tribulation water. We want to press for the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We want to press to lay hold of that for which he laid hold of us. And he didn't lay hold of us to become escape artists. He laid hold of us to do his will, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And with that being said, we cannot become angry people, furious at the loss of rights, even though there's a wise way to fight for them, but until certain battles are won, it is what it is. Now what are we going to do with the hurting people that come our way? Be angry at them too? We'll lose our witness. By the way, God's not an American. He's not. The Constitution of the United States as good as it is, does not trump the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the truth. I was watching Bill Cornelius on the computer. He pastors Bay Area Christian Fellowship, now known as Church Unlimited in Corpus Christi. And while he was preaching, he showed this picture, and I put my computer on pause and did a screenshot. The man in the red sweater vest is Ed Young Sr., been pastor for years of Second Baptist Church of Houston. 
He's on the radio daily and on TV weekly. His son is probably more well-known than him, pastor of Fellowship Church in Grapevine. He's on TV and radio too. He's even on Netflix. Here's Ed Young praying with a visitor at his church. And this visitor is the champion right now of the cultural war in America. What would we do if such a person came to our church? Would we lash out at them? Would we mock them? Would we persecute them? Would we give it back to them? They got what's coming. He likes to call himself Caitlin, but he's Bruce Jenner at church receiving prayer. There's opportunities all around us, even in the midst of pressure, to minister the love, the life, and the faith, and the gospel, and the vitality of Jesus Christ. Amen? What will you do? What will we do? I think if we get too caught up in what some would have us get caught up in, our eyes have become clouded to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is he calling us to do? That's what we've got to be about. I must be about my father's business. Where can I put some pressure? Where can I apply pressure to stop the gaping wounds that are in our culture, people who are dying and going to hell? Let's pray. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that our hearts would be healed where pressure has wounded us and that our minds would be strengthened where pressure has confused us and that our lives would be empowered where pressure has caused us to shrink back where we don't want anything that would create pressure in our lives. Lord, help us to be people that respond according to your heart when pressured, but also to know where to apply pressure ourselves in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can I pressure you? In this room are people that maybe are under incredible pressure and they could use some prayer. They could use some encouragement. Not talking about advice per se unless they ask for it. But they could use some empathy. They could use some love. And so my pressure is to uh, ask you, if you, you know, you don't have to, but I am pressuring you, to, in a minute I'm going to have you stand, I'm going to have, ask you to greet those around you or greet those you don't know, and say, hey, can I pray with you about anything? If you're under great pressure, this is an opportunity to get some prayer. The Bible tells us to go to the throne of grace in the time of need. So with that being said, can we stand?
And I'm going to pronounce a blessing, but it's not a dismissal blessing. It's a blessing to pray with someone. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord God Almighty lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And may He empower you now to minister life to people in this room. And if you need ministry because of pressure or any other need, may you not leave here without receiving it.